how it lights my path, how it guides my way. Amen. Thank you, Martin. And thank you, everyone. It was really good to pray like that and also just to be reminded of different features of who Queen Elizabeth was um, because it's actually going to flow in a little bit I think to the things the Lord put on my heart um, for us from this passage this morning. So I do want to invite us to turn or to open your phones (laughs) or your Bibles to Exodus chapter 2. We won't read it again. We've had the reading, hopefully, emblazoned in your visual memory as well um, by the children. But have it open in front of you so you can look back and remember. Because we're going to think this morning, I've got um, a slide that will come up in just a moment. We're going to think about Moses, who was drawn out of the water. And it is wonderful to be taking this journey through Exodus. We're embarking on a series of passages that will take us through the book of Exodus. Um, Probably not every single verse, because it is quite a long book, um, so it might keep us going for a while. But key points in the story. And Faith last week was launching us into this new series, and she was giving us some of the background and the context for the life of Moses that we are now being introduced to, that context and that background of the oppression of God's people Israel, who were slaves in Egypt at the time and who were feeling the weight and the oppression of that difficult atmosphere and that difficult mode of life that they were in without any freedom and the loss of hope. They thought to themselves, perhaps God has left us, perhaps he's forgotten about us. And uh, in the last chapter last week, there were just some, some slight glimmers of hope, weren't there? If you know the story, or if you were there last week, or if you remember. Moments of hope, because it talks about the Hebrew midwives, who were supposed to be getting rid of the boy babies, but instead defied the king, defied Pharaoh. What a brave thing to do. Perhaps as people saw that that was going on, that people were standing up to this regime, that God was giving courage, perhaps a little bit of hope started to rise in the people of Israel. Maybe God isn't forgetting about us after all. And then comes our passage today with this edict from the king. Okay, if the midwives won't do my dirty work for me, then I will just make it a law that every Hebrew baby boy be thrown into the Nile. And they went around executing that edict. So that hope that had started to rise, can you imagine, it must have felt almost crushed and swallowed away. And yet, this is the moment when Moses is introduced to us. And Moses is brought onto the scene because he is going to be a mighty deliverer for God's people. But right now, he's just a teeny tiny little baby. And I just want to share this morning with us three things that the Lord put on my heart as I was reading this story and, and thinking about it again. Three things I felt that Jesus had on his heart for us specifically here as a congregation of Ichthus Forest Hill. And I felt he was talking to me and to all of us about lives that point to Jesus, number one. He was talking to me from this story about protection for families, 
number two. <clears throat> and thirdly, he was speaking to me about taking responsibility for future generations. Three things, and you'll see them coming up on the screen as we go through. So first of all, lives that point to Jesus. We noticed, didn't we, with the children that, you can flick on one. We noticed with the children that in verse 2, Moses' mum, it says that she picked up her child, she gave birth and picked up her child, and she saw that he was beautiful. Or different versions will say different things. I think the NIV says that he was fine. (laughs) Not fine, he was fine. (laughs) Or beautiful. Or when I looked at it, I found that actually that word in the Hebrew, it's just the very simple word for good. And some translations, I think, bring that out. She looked at him and she saw that he was good. And this word good in Hebrew, it can mean all kinds of different things. It can mean morally good. And perhaps that's why translators don't like to choose that word, because maybe they think, well, he was a baby, you know, so obviously, whatever. Um, It can mean beautiful, which is why some translators choose that. So attractive, visually good looking. It can mean healthy and strong, you know, when you're thinking about a baby. He was good, he was was healthy, he was going to do well. And I just wanted, as I thought about that word good, she looked at him and saw that he was good. Maybe we think that's obvious. Maybe we think, well, of course, any mother would pick up her baby and see that he was good. But I wanted to remind us this morning that that life was being marked out by God as good. And that whenever a new life comes into this world, God looks at it just as he did when he first brought human beings into existence, when he put human life on the earth together at creation, he looked at us and he said, it's good. In fact, he said, it is very good. And God looks at life as it comes into being. He looks at the young, he looks at our babies and he says, it's good. It's good. That is his verdict over every human life that is born on this planet. No matter what the circumstances of their birth, God says it's good. And you know there have been theologians over the centuries who've disagreed with that. They've described how they can see, even in a newborn baby, sinfulness and evil and things that are not good. But you know, God's declaration, I believe, being echoed here by Moses' mum and being brought out in the scriptures through Moses who wrote them down, it's he wants to assert this fact because it matters for humanity that we understand it. That God looked at that new life and said, it's good. And then he looks at life on earth and he says, it is good. And of course, you know, we're going to find as time goes on that there is sadness and pain and disappointment and sin and regret that may surround many of our lives, even from our earliest moments. And for some, that will be more true than for others. There is pain, there is darkness, there is difficulty, there is sin. But nevertheless, human life is good and it's valuable therefore 
and it's precious in God's sight and it matters that we value it the same way that he does because it's worth something. It's worth fighting for. It's worth bringing the brokenness of our lives to our God and letting him get his hands in and fix it. Sometimes we think we're just too broken and messed up for God to do anything with. Sometimes we think there isn't a way forward or it'll be too painful to allow him to do the kind of work that's needed to be done in me. No, Lord, it goes back too far. It's too deep in my history. It's too written in to my DNA or to who I am. And we start to think like that about our lives. Perhaps it would be better if I wasn't here. Perhaps it would be better if I wasn't even born. And God says a great big no to that. Because life, as he gives it, is good. Because human beings matter. Because we're valuable. Because we're precious. Because he loves us. Because he made us. We're worth something. And we've got to hold on to that. We've got to remember it in the core of our spirit. Because otherwise, when we let go of that truth, we start to devalue ourselves. We devalue one another. We look at one another in the wrong way. It becomes possible to do it when we let go of those things. And ultimately, we dishonor God himself who gave us that life. And you know, God believes in each and every one of us that we can do something with him if we will put our lives in his hands. And in part, That is what is good about us, is that we can live lives that do something for Jesus. We can live lives that point in some way to who he is, that reflect something of his beauty into this world. Human beings were made to do that. That's part of what it means to be made in the image of God. We were created for that reason. So your life is good It is fine. It is beautiful. It may need some fixing and some cleansing and some renewing and restoring and rebuilding and forgiving. It may need all of that, but it is good in God's hands. And as we read on in Moses' story, we start to discover what God is going to do with this good life. And we discover how important and strategic Moses is going to be in God's purposes for his people. But not only that, ultimately, Moses is going to be important and strategic for all the peoples of the world. Because Moses' work in bringing God's people out of slavery in Egypt and preserving God's people, Israel... Moses' work in doing that and giving them their Ten Commandments and in helping them to understand what it means to be a nation and a people together is what gives rise in the end, thousands of years later, to Jesus being able to be born into that nation of Israel, into that community of worship of the true God, Yahweh, into that context where they understood they were looking and waiting for a Messiah. It was Jesus who was to be born into that people years down the line, Moses was a part of making that happen. Because if the people of Israel had been obliterated under slavery in Egypt at that point in history, then God's plan and purpose would have been derailed and stopped in its tracks. But God was at work through Moses to bring about ultimately his plan for deliverance, not just for Israel, 
but for all the peoples of the earth, for you and for me through Jesus Christ who was to come. A wonderful thing, isn't it, that Moses had this special job and he was uniquely placed to accomplish it. His unique circumstances and his unique opportunities made him uniquely placed to lead the people out as we will read in chapters to come. And his job was to deliver Israel, but his job beyond that ultimately was to make room for Jesus to come. Thousands of years later, he was pointing the way towards him. His very life, Moses' very life, was pointing towards Jesus um, and the one who was to come. And we can see that even from these very earliest moments in babyhood, because Moses' experiences are echoed in the life of Jesus. Did you notice that when we were reading the story? Maybe some of you thought, oh, that rings a bit of a bell with the Christmas story. I seem to remember in the Bible another mighty king and dictator who gave an edict about Hebrew baby boys that needed to be slaughtered. I seem to remember that story. That's a bit familiar. And in the same way as Moses was rescued from the edict of Pharaoh by being taken right into the very heart of Egypt, right into the very palace, perhaps, of the one who gave the edict, that's where he was kept safe and protected and guarded. But so Jesus was taken into Egypt by his parents, by his mum and his dad, at the instruction of God, take him, and he was rescued and saved from that edict by being taken into the land of Egypt for some years before they returned to Israel again. So you can see that little echo and that little reflection, even in the baby life of Moses. It's pointing to Jesus. And God was using Moses' life to point towards Jesus who was to come. And this was going to happen many times over as Moses grew up and kept walking in obedience to God, kept walking out the purposes God had for him. And I don't know about you, but as I was thinking about that, I found the prayer was rising up inside of me. Lord, I want my life to be like that. I want my life to point to Jesus. I want my life to make room for more of Jesus' work to happen in this world. And since God has given me this beautiful life, I want to do something with it that is good. And I want to ask him about it. I want to talk to him about my life. I just want to do my ideas and my purposes because maybe they won't make much room for Jesus. Maybe they won't point and reflect on him too much. I want my life to be something useful in your hands, Lord. And that prayer can start to rise up in all of us that we would have lives that point to him because there are so many ways that we can do that as God's people. You know, if you just look around this room, look at all the different faces that are here, you can actually turn your heads, you're allowed to, um, to do it. But if you look around, you know, it's going to be different ways that we're used Absolutely, because we're not the same as one another. Different things God has in his heart for us to do, but all of us can be pointing to Jesus. I was thinking about my chemistry teacher, 
many years ago when I was at school. He was a new teacher to us, um, and uh, it was in our A-levels, so we had quite a small class. And I remember on like the second day or something, we'd met him. He was giving the, the lesson, and one of the boys in our class, who was a really troubled young lad, um, he was always getting into trouble. He had a huge amount of anger in his life. He had some very difficult home circumstances that he dealt with. And he was full of anger and full of like, rage that he couldn't control. And I remember he would kick off all the time in different places and different contexts. But in this lesson with our new chemistry teacher, uh, suddenly this guy kicked off because I think it was as simple as he'd asked a question. He was also very intelligent and like to try to catch the teachers out, he'd asked a question to the teacher, and the teacher hadn't really understood what he was asking, and he got frustrated about that, and he exploded with huge anger. He used to carry a hockey stick around with him. He slammed his hockey stick on the desk. He threw it in the air over his shoulder. He stormed out of the room. He slammed the door. It was a very aggressive and swore at the teacher on his way out kind of moment. I remember our little class of people were all like, what is he going to do? I mean, we were kind of used, we'd seen him before, but this is a new teacher, right? What's he going to do? And I remember looking at this guy and I just caught his eye or I saw his face in the moment that this boy left the room and slammed the door. And I don't know, I was expecting to see all kinds of things. I was expecting to see probably mostly anger because it was very rude and very, um, you know, disrespectful the way that he had behaved. But I looked in this guy's face and I could see that there were tears in his eyes, but they weren't, he wasn't afraid either. It was total compassion. Like he was feeling pain for this boy who he could see was in pain. And I saw it in his face in that moment. And I knew it even back then as a teenager. I was like, that guy must be a Christian because what I saw in his face, it was just Jesus. It was Jesus' heart for that boy. I just saw it in that moment. And so confident was I about my, what I'd seen. And I've never, I don't think I've ever done this since, actually. But it was the first time I had ever done it. The end of the lesson when everyone else had left, I went up to him and I said, Sir, are you a Christian? <laughs> and he said, Yes, Debbie, I am. <laughs> and uh, I think he knew who my mum and dad were. So I think he wasn't maybe surprised by the question, but he was, and he was a lovely witness to Jesus. But I guess I tell that story because it was a tiny thing, but I knew I saw Jesus in him, and we want to have lives like that, don't we? That point to who the Lord is. Maybe other people wouldn't recognise that's Jesus, but what they saw in that teacher, I know it touched them. It impacted all of those students in that room. It impacted this boy who needed prayer and love and help. It impacted everyone. Let's look to have lives like that that point to the Lord. Second thing I wanted to talk about for a moment is protection for families. <clears throat> and I'm sorry about this picture because I know it's probably you know, somebody's enactment of that moment. But it caught the moment that I wanted us to think about. The moment when Moses' mum has to release that basket into the water. And as I was thinking about this story, I was struck, and maybe it came out a little bit in the drama in the children's time, how many times that little baby Moses had to be passed from hand to hand and person to person 
just in this short chapter. Did you notice that? He goes from mother to basket with sister watching over the basket, then to slave girl, to princess, to sister again and mother again, and then back to the princess. Just in that short number of verses, he's been passed from hand to hand and from care to care and supervision to supervision outside of his mother's protective love and care. And I wonder how she must have felt in that moment, releasing her child to an unknown kind of future. She didn't know what was going to happen. It must have been very, very hard to do. But what I saw in the story was look how the Lord was watching over Moses the whole time. He was directing him from hand to hand. And as I think about that, I think that Moses' mother must have been a prayer. Because I don't think that that's always automatic. Things can happen in our lives and we know we have not been under the protection of God. But when there are praying people around our lives and when there are people acting in faith to help us, we will find that we are carried in the Lord's purposes and protection and provision, just like that basket was a symbol of the Lord's protection and covering. And I believe that as Moses' mum was weaving that basket together, it was an act of prayer and faith. I bet she was talking to the Lord in her heart. I bet she was saying, Lord, please will you protect this little one? Please Will you watch over him where I can't watch over him anymore? Please, Lord, would you guard him and keep him safe? Prayers flowing from a mother's heart. And you know that Hebrew word for basket in the story, you may know, it's the same word as ark, as in Noah's ark. So Moses was put into a little Noah's ark. And in fact, there's an echo of Noah's story because it says the mother covered that ark with the, with the basket with t- pitch and tar, which is the same description of what God told Mo, uh, Noah to do when he was building the ark, to cover it, to make it watertight with pitch and tar. And we can see those little echoes of an ark-like experience. And perhaps Moses' mother even had that story in her heart as she made her little mini ark for Moses. And perhaps she prayed something like this, Lord, you saved the human race from total extinction by drowning once before with Noah. And you put Noah in an ark and you kept him through that. You brought him through it. So Lord, as I put my baby in this little ark, would you do the same? And would you save him? And maybe even save all of us through it. Maybe she had that kind of prayer as she released her child to the Lord, a prophetic sort of praying. I don't know. But I know that it must have been an act of prayerful faith that she took because the story is so full of God's response to it along the way. And look how the Lord honoured that mother's prayer 
and that mother's heart and took care of her boy in the, just the most unexpected way, isn't it? It's brilliant, so unlikely. <laughs> um, maybe she had something in her own mind of what God would do. But it's amazing that God kept him safe right in the very household of the one who wanted him dead <laughs> in the first place. But that's how the Lord did it. And I just felt as I was thinking about this story that this was a word for some parents here today. Maybe it's specifically mothers, but I think it's for parents more generally. The parents who know that experience and feel the same anxiety of releasing their offspring, however old, maybe they're not babies anymore, maybe they're grown, but you have to release them into other hands or into other circumstances, or into an unknown future in some way. We have to do it all the time, don't we, as parents, those of us here who are parents. We have to trust our kids to all kinds of hands, to schools and teachers, or to colleges, or universities, or the wider world, or different places they're going to live. We put them into the hands of other family members, or babysitters, or childminders, or friends who look after them, or or doctors, sometimes when there are health needs, we're putting them into the hands of doctors or other caregivers. All kinds of ways we have to release them. We can't always be there in person to oversee everything that's going to happen, to watch over them, to protect them as best we can, however much we would like to. And I was thinking about that, and I think it's true for us, however old our offspring get. But I felt the Lord wanted to remind us this morning, particularly parents, he wanted to say to us that where we have to release our young ones, whatever it is and whatever it is, let's do it prayerfully and let's do it in faith like this mother did as she put that ark together. Let's trust the Lord and talk to him about it. Call upon his name for the things that we're anxious about and then trust him that he will do it, that he will hear and that he will do his part in watching over them as you do your part in preparing them as best you can. We need to do it in faith and in trust because the Lord will land them up in the right place. It might not be even the place you expected or even the place you would have chosen for your offspring. Don't suppose Moses' mum really wanted him living under the nose of Pharaoh. But nevertheless, the Lord knew what he was doing, brought him into a place, responded to those prayers. And I felt the Lord wanted to remind us as praying parents this morning that he wants to protect, he wants to guard, he wants to watch over, and he will move where prayers of faith are being prayed. So let's help each other, because it can be hard to have faith for our families, can it not? It can be hard, but we can help each other, we can strengthen each other, and encourage each other to trust the Lord, and he won't let us down. And the last thing I want to say, and this one's for all of us this morning, is about taking responsibility for future generations. And I was so struck in these first two chapters of Exodus at all the women that God was using to watch over this little life of Moses. We've mentioned them all, you know, even starting with the midwives um, playing their part in chapter one. So many who were very strategic in God's purposes because 
they were looking after Moses, who was going to be hugely strategic in God's purposes and ultimately the world, as we thought about at the beginning. And all of them were doing their bit in this story to help Moses along the way to fulfilling his destiny, weren't they? And in this story, it's the women who are being highlighted, isn't it? I'm sure there were some men around in the story somewhere. We know Moses had a dad. I don't know um, how he features. But I think somehow the female characters here, um, they're helping us to see something. Perhaps they're saying something to all of us about the role of the church around young lives that God entrusts to us. So I want to invite all of us, men and women and old and young and those who have our own children or those who don't have their own children, those who love children and teenagers and love being involved with them and talking with them and speaking with them and others who would rather run a mile than speak to a teenager or try to have a conversation with a child. We're all different, right? But here in the church of God, people who belong to him, all of us have got a part to play in guarding and looking out, just like those women did in the story, the lives, the young lives of the ones that God is wanting to raise up and do something with in the future. So it's not just about women, but they're representing for us the kind of nurturing function of the church, of God's people, of the body of Christ, the bride of Christ, as the Bible calls it. So all of us here in the congregation, we've got a part to play in raising up the next generation, every single one of us, whoever we might be. We are all responsible for watching over the lives of these young ones and for investing in them as we can, as is appropriate for us and who we are as they grow in Jesus. For some of us, we will pray and we will faithfully pray For some of us, we will build relationships with the young ones in our church life. Some of us will teach or mentor, we'll join teams, or maybe we'll just do it as a one-off. Somebody asks us, I'm going to come in and share something with the youth. I want to come in and share something with the children to invest, to help them, to release something of your life with God into theirs. Some will do it through encouraging and supporting parents in the room. Some of us will do it by encouraging and supporting youth workers or children's workers and making sure that they're in our minds, the people who serve us out the back um, unseen Sunday by Sunday, that we can come alongside and be part of that by laying a hand on Walter's shoulder or whoever and saying, I just want to pray for you to be filled up with fresh faith and encouragement for our children, for the things that God's putting in your heart for them. You know, any one of us can do that. You don't have to be great routine teenagers to do that. You see what I'm saying? But we understand our responsibility. We carry it together. We will set an example. Did you know, people of God, literally by being in the room, whoever you are, and the diversity of that, that is speaking volumes to our children about what it means to follow Jesus. Because you can, and you can, and you can, and you can. All these different people, do we understand? It matters what they see. It matters that we're not all teachers or trendy youth workers or whatever it might be. It matters that we're different. 
and they see you and they see something of the life of God that has carried you this far. And as we share our testimonies together and we talk about our lives and we talk about the way that God has led us, it is powerful, not just powerful, it's important. It's really important in God's heart. All of us is important in taking our corporate responsibility seriously for seeing this next generation that God has entrusted to us rise up into what Jesus wants for them and for their lives um, and so that they are not lost to the world and so that they are not stolen away by the enemy, so that they are not derailed from who they were meant to be, from what was in God's heart when he created them and knit them together in their mother's wombs. We have a part to play in helping them to move in the direction that God has burning in his heart for them so that they can be that generation who rise up and perhaps fulfill the Great Commission. Wouldn't we want that? Wouldn't we love it if our children were the ones we were the ones, but if our children were the ones who would get that job done, the gospel to the ends of the earth, so that Jesus can come back again and finish what he started, isn't that in our hearts? If it isn't, we've missed the point of what church is. We missed the point of what we're doing here week by week. It's got to be burning in us somewhere. And, and we've all got a part to play in that massive work of God that is happening throughout this world. And your love and prayer and investment in the younger ones in our congregation, it matters. And I know that we're all different. We will do it from different angles and different spaces. But let's carry it in our hearts. That's my word for us. I felt the Lord lay on my heart to bring before you this morning. I want to encourage us and challenge all of us to carry God's heart together for this rising generation amongst us. And I want to challenge us and encourage us to gather. Let's gather for our all-age meetings not everybody can or does, but if we can, please let's gather in at those times because that is a moment of expression of what I'm talking about. The fact we recognize that we do something, that we are something together as the people of God, old and young. So we can think further, we can think more about what we are bringing to that meeting than we think about what we're going to take away from it. And if we think like that, we'll be there. And we'll be part of it prayerfully. And we will see, I believe, mighty and wonderful, beautiful works of God's Spirit happening amongst our children. We already do. But I believe God has got more in his heart for us. And he wants us to be a prayerful and loving people, an example of Jesus to them. So that they will grow up and fulfill all that God has for them. And I pray that as we take that seriously, then we will see many Moseses. <laughs> rising up from among us and changing the world and shining forth for Jesus and doing the things he's given them to do. So I don't know about you, but I want to be part of that whatever way I can. So let's just pray together now as we close. I want to pray for us. Let's just be quiet before the Lord.
I just want to pray first of all, if that's okay. You can just keep your heads bowed and your eyes closed if you're comfortable with that. But if you are a parent, it doesn't matter how old your offspring is, but if you're a parent who relates to that word about needing to release our children but do it in faith, then um, there's something you're anxious or concerned about for your offspring's future, then please just, just put your hand up. You don't have to keep it raised. Put it up and I'm going to pray for you this morning. Okay. Yeah, you can put it down and just receive now from the Lord as we pray. Lord, I just want to pray now for all those who have indicated that anxiety or that pressure in their heart. And in Jesus' name, I pray that you would sow your seeds of faith into every parent heart here now in the name of Jesus. Lord, where faith has been robbed away or it feels lost or attacked. In Jesus' name, I pray, let it strengthen and rise within, Lord. And let us know that our prayers are connecting with you, you hear. Lord, I come against the lie of the enemy that says that you're not hearing or that that's not changing, that nothing's changing, that nothing is shifting. Lord, we come against that lie in Jesus' name. And I pray that every single one will know, Lord, that their prayers are reaching you, Lord, and that your heart is moved by these prayers and that you are at work, Lord, to oversee and work in the lives of our young ones, Lord, the lives of our offspring. In Jesus' name, Lord, I pray that you will protect, that you will rescue, that you will save. I pray that you will guide into land in the right place those who are on a journey, Lord Jesus. And I pray that you will put our young ones into the hands of those who can be trusted. I pray you'd alert us to dangers, Lord. And give us that sense in our spirit of the right way and the wrong way, Lord Jesus. But let us not do that in fear. Let us be in faith with you. In Jesus' name, I bless every parent here to know your faith in these matters. Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. And Lord, for the rest of us, Lord, wherever you want to respond, I just want to pray for us. So if you want to just respond to the message more generally. You might just want to put your hands out. Just show the Lord you're responding, you're receiving. Lord, I pray that all of us here in Ichthus Forest Hill, that we would be those who signpost to Jesus. I pray that we would be those whose lives reflect you in some way, make room for you in some way. Lord, give us the joy of knowing that we're doing that. Lord, I want to pray for a bunch of encouragements to come back in testimony in the weeks to come, where others saw Jesus in us or felt and knew him and met him or saw him in a different way. Lord, would you work in and through our lives in such a way that we will make room for you and see more of your kingdom coming in our lives and circumstances. And I pray finally, Lord Jesus, for our young ones. I pray for all those out in the back hall now, in the crash room, Lord. I pray for the youth, Lord Jesus, at Ixus House now. And in Jesus' name, we pray, Lord, raise up the Moseses from amongst them and help us to do our part, Lord, in praying that in, hearing your heart for them, Lord, taking our role, doing our part, Lord Jesus. I pray that you will inspire us, but Lord, that most importantly, you'll drive us to prayer, drive us to pray, Lord Jesus, whether we have our own children here or not, Lord, that we will see these young ones rising up to fulfill every 
free work you've got for them to accomplish. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen. Amen. Let your Let your